When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey everybody, welcome back. Another episode of Simply Amazing, Tim Ryder from Apple. We have absolutely no good news to share today. Um, Mets Daddy's here. That's good news. Mets That's Daddy. a way to present me. We have no good news. Mets Daddy is here. Hey, no. <laughs> God damn it, there was a comma there. <laughs> no, um, yeah. Well, I mean, well, of course, welcome. Welcome back to the show, MD. My, always a pleasure, Tim. <laughs> oh, see, we have, we're having fun right off the bat. Um, on the baseball front, there's no good news. Is that better? Uh, that, no, it, it is a better intro, but it, it's not better at all. <laughs> yeah, things are getting a little out of hand. Um, we're going to get to the lockout stuff because there really hasn't been much movement there. We'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit. Um, I, I wanted to start off today just... I guess discussing Matt Harvey and um, that multi-layered situation, because it's, it's, it's a nuanced situation. There's no cookie cutter. There's no cookie cutter for these sort of situations. Um, so as everybody is well aware of Matt Harvey, um, he is testifying in the Eric K. Tyler Skaggs trial, which is a, a federal in federal court out in California, I believe. Matt Harvey is, of course, helping out the prosecution and uh, is doing so by speaking to the fact that him and Tyler Skaggs did share drugs, but that Eric K. was uh, uh, the main supplier. And, mm-hmm. and even K.'s defense, has, they've never accused Harvey of being the person who supplied the lethal dose of drugs to Tyler Skaggs. They actually landed on a stranger in the airport in Long Beach, California, which an expert came in and said that's highly, highly unlikely, just considering the um, the lack of access to ballplayers is the entrances that they use and such. But Harvey's <clears throat> Harvey being involved in the court case, at least in my eyes, is um is helping the prosecution to, you know, bring justice, however you want to put it, to, to Eric Kay, who, who, you know, allegedly supplied Tyler Skaggs with the drugs that uh, that uh, eventually led to his, his very premature death. Um, Matt Harvey, while in court testifying, and I'm sorry to keep you hanging here, Matt Steve, I'm, I'm just trying to, uh, to, no, to, 
to go ahead and fill out everything here. While in court testifying, uh, Matt Harvey admitted to cocaine use while with the Mets. Um, shortly after his testifying, former Mets manager and Matt Harvey's former manager with New York, Terry Collins, spoke to the New York Post and elaborated a lot more than, than Harvey did in court in, in his testimony on how the Mets handled Harvey's addiction issues and mental health issues during his time there. MD, from what we heard, and then Terry Collins said it was well known throughout the clubhouse, uh, the Mets asked him to straighten out his off-field lifestyle and uh, and they, they advised him to speak with a mental skills coach when he uh, spoke of, of harming himself to uh, in confidence in the clubhouse. Again, in this, it's a well, very, not, very wide well. spectrum. It's a, it's a very wide spectrum here. But it, it, I, in, in my opinion, the Mets failed Matt Harvey. Um, I know that some people don't agree with that. And, and yes, Matt Harvey made his own choices. He's got no one to blame but himself for those choices. But the support system around someone who's struggling, the importance of that and the power of that, cannot be understated. And in my opinion, the Mets had a moral and ethical obligation to um, do all they could. And to me, it feels like the Mets did not do all they could. MD, what, what's your take on this? Because I, I, I'm admittedly biased. I've been in recovery for going on 16 years. Um, I, I, I am an advocate for the addict. And uh, maybe my my viewpoint's a bit skewed. I, I'd love to hear your 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 point of view on this. Well, let's start with the obvious fact that I believe your words carry much more weight than most people chiming in on this. Um, you have been very forthright, not just in this, but in the past, about your own battles. Um, so honestly, if, if anyone knows what Harvey went through and what Harvey needed, it's clearly you. Um, look, like most people, I've had people in my life who have battled addiction, um, uh, be it alcohol or, or others. Yeah, surprise, Irish Catholic has alcoholics in his family. Um, <laughs> Miss you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's what I'll say. We're not privy to everything. I don't want that to sound as a cop-out, um, but I'm, I'm putting it to kind of color um, what we discovered. Um, to me, here's the key, key moment, which really outlines how the Mets completely failed Harvey. Let's go back to the suspension. Because to me, this is the seminal moment and it tells us everything we need to know. The suspension happens, right? Harvey wasn't performing. We remember how things were kind of, it, if you remember being a Mets fan at that point, it was a very depressing moment because it was almost a surefire sign that everything that we thought was happening in 2015 was falling apart. 
And this was the moment where we realized we may have lost Harvey. Not so much Harvey the person, but we may have lost Harvey the pitcher. And if we lost Harvey the pitcher, what comes next? And, and I, that may sound callous, but that's where fans go mentally. Um, but let's go to how the Mets handled it. Matt Harvey goes AWOL. Obviously, it needs to be addressed. It needs suspended. We now find out, unless I'm mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, during that discussion, and presumably other discussions, Matt Harvey discussed suicidal thoughts. Um, whether they're a cry for help or not, we're not privy to the conversation, we don't know. What was the Mets' reaction to that? We had Terry Collins and Sandy Alderson speaking out, chastising Matt Harvey in the media. You had a player you knew was in trouble. Not now, not just with drugs, which you either knew or suspected, but he has now at least given an indication he wanted to kill himself. And your response to a player saying that is to add more pressure and more of the weight of the world on him. Take everything aside. We can have honest discussions about everything Matt Harvey from 2013 to the point he was traded to the Reds for Devin Mazarosko. We can have extremely pointed and important conversations. And I believe we could have reasonable differences of opinion, as I'm sure different psychologists and social workers and whoever else deal in this realm. When someone comes to you and says, things are so bad, I, I think I, I, you know, I just want to kill myself. How in the world is your response to make it worse for him? That is how you know the Mets failed him because they failed him here. And now you know what their pattern of behavior and excuse making is. See, and, the, and, and that is why I have never been so disgusted with this franchise in my entire life. You know, it's such a, a nuanced situation. There's just so many nooks and crannies to this that, like you said, there's a lot of unknowns. We don't know 99% of the details of this, uh, of this situation. If that we, we don't know anything. We know what we've been informed of. Um, and if, and Terry Collins, I mean, him coming out and speaking so bluntly about these things, um, just totally out of line, uh, completely out of line to, to speak on such topics with the Post, then go on SNY and say, oddly, pretty much the same exact thing verbatim. But that's that's another discussion for another day. But I, it's um, it brings up the question of, at least to me, let's say the Mets did do so. Let's say the Mets pulled them off the mound when word was good at getting around the clubhouse that there were some real issues. And let's just take it through Terry Collins' things. Oh, it's, uh, you know, everyone in the clubhouse knew. And he went over and they went to Harvey and said, hey, straighten things out. What if the Mets did more? What if the Mets pulled him off the mound at that point? That's that's a fair question. Would, Har would Harvey have changed? I can't answer that. 
nobody can. Matt Harvey could could probably answer that. And he might even answer, no, I wouldn't have changed. But without the Mets exhausting all of those options, to me, it feels like they just simply didn't do enough. You know, ignoring ignoring the red flags like they did while hoping he turns into the dark night again. You know, this types of these type of things happen all the time in, in corporations. You value you know, I'm not saying this is right. It's not right, but this is just how the world is. Companies value performance against liability. And, you know, I think everyone listening to this can probably think of an instance where, oh, yeah, in a work setting, someone's really off the uh, off the rails. But, you know, they're still around because they make money for the company. I, I know I've seen it before. I'm sure many others have seen it. And right. it's, and it's awful. And, and you're playing with people's lives. And, and by keeping that pressure on them, like you were saying, it's it, it's only going to exacerbate the issue. And, and I say that from experience. And again, nobody's experience with these things is the same. Nobody's. Um, there may be, you know, parallels and there may be overlaps like, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. But everyone's experiences with addiction are going to be their own experiences. And Matt Harvey might not have been ready to change if the Mets had come to him in 2016 or 20. I mean, when these things were coming up, when he was getting suspended in Vegas, when he didn't show up, like if they would have put a foot down, maybe, uh, you know, if there's it, all it would have done would have increased the possibility that it would have got through to Matt Harvey. And, you know, it took him till 2019 uh, per, per the player himself to clean up. Um, And thank, you know, thank goodness he did. But if you're the, I mean, at least from my perspective, the Mets, they, <laughs> they took advantage of him. They took advantage of the fact that his potential was still high and they, they allowed him to, they, they let him continue try to be, trying to be the dark knight when, you know, he was not in no, phys, in no physical or mental condition to do so. You know, teams will go out and, and put an injured player on the, on the IL. They'll, they'll, they'll go out and spend millions to make sure the players are in the best physical condition possible but you know i have to go searching around the mets website for mental health professionals that are employed by the team i went up on the on the team website on um on wednesday and right, i saw that and steve traxel said that they had two actually available during his time yeah but they're not listed anywhere so you don't know not, and maybe they're outsourced but you would i mean at least as a fan and as someone who's dealt with mental health and addiction issues in the past you know, how many times have we heard a professional team say, oh, we're a family, we're a family here. In baseball, it's even more so. You're together for six months, eight months out of the year. You're doing well. Um, you know, it, it, you have to have a, a stronger, more pronounced support system for guys who are in anybody, in, anybody in, in the organization who might be, you know, falling, on, falling under, those, under those traps. It's, um, it's imperative. You want to keep everyone, especially – you know, players on the roster, you know, these aren't just, they're not just assets, they're human beings. And I think that gets lost in, in not just baseball, in most corporate settings that, that gets lost. And it's, I know we got a little off track. But. No, no, and it's fine. I just wanted to just kind of jump back in here. on one Yeah, please, please. And this is, this is why I don't believe the Mets were doing everything they could have done. Um, 
And it go, to me, it goes directly to Jeff Wilpon. Pedro Martinez was shut down for the season in 2005 with a toe injury. Willie Randolph and the doctors said, no, you can't pitch, you can't pitch, you can't pitch. What did Jeff Wilpon do? He ignored every single doctor, and he threw a pitcher who had been shut down, forced him on the mound for the gate. Okay? Fast forward, not too long thereafter. The team fought with Carlos Beltran over career-saving knee surgery. Do I do, I do not remotely believe that Jeff Wilpon was willing to take his star pitcher, his huge gate, because Harvey was a gate, and shut him down to send him to a rehab clinic for a certain number of days. This may or may not be fair, but I wonder if the Mets were kind of like, let's get through September and we'll have Harvey. uh, We'll send him somewhere in November, December, get him cleaned up and we'll get him back. May or may not be fair, but, but when you have the track record, the Mets have on this and we can go through it through the gamut. Um, Choose your pitcher, choose your player over recorded Mets history. Even look to David Wright. He broke his back. <laughs> That's right. And they had him back on the field the end of that season. Well, and and uh, I think, and, again, but, you have to take into account David Wright's pushing so hard to get back onto the field. And, you know, there, there's so many aspects to these things that, you know, to be fair, we don't know exactly what each situation entailed, but no, you, you're making perfect sense. Their track record with these things is not great. And I, I look directly to, to, to Pedro and, and Beltran. And, you know, the, the other thing, too, is frustrating as a Mets fan, and I'm not entirely making light of this situation. We're almost 40 years from 1986. How is it 40 years later, we're still talking about cocaine, but we're not talking about another World Series title? <laughs> Well, like, I, I'm, I'm, drugs don't go away. Drugs are always around. You can, but, any any state, any block, any corner, any you know, any town in America, you can find drugs. But what I'm saying is, the Wilpons were around in '86. They were around in 2006. They were around in 2000. You know what was it? When 2016. Whatever you you know, choose your whatever day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you would have thought, and I'm I'm serious. Here, you would have thought in the 30 years span. From Doc and Daryl to Harvey, they would have figured out, shit, we cannot have the future of our franchise jeopardized again due to drugs of abuse. We should have a system in support system in place and a plan in place whenever we have suspicion. Yeah. Well, and, and there's only so far, and I get that there's only so far that a team can go because a player has union protection and you can't just say, hey, you know, it's not like, you know, you're, you're an employee and there's at-will employment in New York and they could fire you for any reason. It's not like that. They're, they're union protected and, and that's a good thing. But th- there's got to be, um, there's got to be a human side to it. If someone is struggling and the team knows it, there's got to be a way to intervene. There, there, I mean, and, and, you know, and there are things they can do outside of 
the within the realms of the CBA. And I go back to Josh Hamilton with the Texas Rangers. Yeah, who they they paid for someone to be there whenever he was at a place. The Mets could have dug in their pockets and said, we need someone on Harvey 24-7. Aside from the human factor, which, you know, which you've pointed to repeatedly from a business standpoint, do you lose a guy who is getting Tom Seaver comps? Do, do, do you risk, like, you almost want to catch him in the fucking act. Excuse my language. Like, no, catch, him, catch him in the act so you can institute all the provisions allowed under the CBA. Or you take a, I mean, in my opinion, I mean, it, take a more human approach. If him and Collins really did have that closer relationship where Matt could talk to Collins about harming himself, about, you know, thinking about harming himself. Why couldn't Collins go to Harvey and say, Matt, please? Let's, I mean, and he said it himself. All he said was, hey, clean up the nightlife, clean up the, the off field stuff. Go to him. Have a, I mean, we don't know if he had a heart to heart or not, but you would imagine if he did, Collins would have mentioned that speaking to the New York press about Harvey without his freaking consent. But, you know, if you have that close of a relationship, talk to the guy. And that's I think the organization just allowed things to they didn't stop things from getting out of hand. And you can't say they they allowed it to get out of hand because it's not up to them, but they didn't stop it. And to oh me, that that's a it's it's a huge red flag. And, you know, in one hand, you say, thank goodness, the, the, the team's under new management. On the other hand, last season, you had Zach Scott saying, oh, guys aren't buying into the medical staff. Well, well, why the fuck do you think that, Zach Scott? What the fuck? <laughs> but, 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 Tim, they're not under new management. They're under new ownership. Well, Sandy, Sandy Alderson. Yeah, yeah, you reached my point before I got to my point. Yes, and, there, and, is and, common, there is a common there is a common denominator. By the way, in a fit of irony, who is Harvey's GM yeah. in Los Angeles? Billy oh, Epler, who's now the Mets GM. yeah. That's a oh, that's and, and a look, that's an onion not, we're not going to peel today. I I'm not saying this to place the blame at their footsteps. No, because it's because, Harvey who made the decisions. We have to remember that. But boy, but, and, but here's culpable. the thing too: is when it happened, you're culpable. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 that's fine. And you're right. I'm not. You know, I, I said something out there on Twitter, and Tim Healy more articulately put it more articulately. Wherein I said, I thought Terry Collins and Sandy Alderson were the good people who were the, you know, I, I were basically the thwarting of the Wilpons, right? And I, I'm learning now they weren't. And, and Healy had said, no, you know, kind of something along the lines of, they're still good people, but they still were company men at the end of the day. And I, I wonder how much of that is the case now or, or it was then, um, you know, how, like Harvey said, no one really asked him about his drug use. And yeah. uh, another thing too, when we go that to the broke Mets, my heart, we that, that broke my fucking heart. I'm not, boy, we're really getting R rated today. I'm sorry, everybody, but, no, no, but, but, but here's another thing that I've been thinking about. That's been kind of rubbing the wrong way fair or not and i don't know if i'm being melodramatic here 
when did Harvey's opiate addiction begin? Uh, he said, it, oh, he, he, no. he said it. He said it was after he left. He got into it once he got to L.A. Uh, was it L.A.? I'm he, said sure. that he said that in New York, his his substance of choice was cocaine. I'm, this is not quoting, but this is what I read yesterday regarding his testimony. In New York, his uh, his substance of choice was cocaine. Once he moved on, he got into opiates. He got into painkillers. I want to say it's once he got to got okay. once he got to Anaheim, but I, I, I'd have to look that up. I just oh, wonder. Uh, news just came out. Eric K is found guilty on both counts. Okay. Oh, so he's. No. Oh boy, that's um. That's, that's closure. Uh, it's closure for the Skaggs family. Um, I hope it is. It's, dude. I can't tell you um, in detail, like these. I, I, I the these things don't um, you know, you get a little closure, but all it does it at this moment, it's reopening the wounds, and I just I feel for the Skaggs family and his friends and his teammates right now. Uh, bad. Yeah. It's, I mean, I mean, at this point, what is there to say? Um, here's the next part too. You know, Skaggs career is obviously over. Who else, who else's major league career is over now? Is it CJ Crone? Is his career over? Oh, you, you mean Harvey? Harvey. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, CJ Crone, you know, testified too in this trial. Oh, him and Pedrosian and uh, and someone yeah. else. Yeah, but yeah, but uh, but in fair, now, at I'm this point, all of these. To, to be fair, all of these people who testified are probably at this stage in their career borderline players. Um, right, like Bedros, go down the list: Bedrosian, Cron, Harvey. Who's taking the risk for them now? You know, part of me wants to believe that these guys went and helped and cooperated with the prosecution to 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 help their friend, and then and they don't care about the about not getting a job again. And part of me really wants to believe that, but I don't know. I really don't know how to answer that. You know, and it's everything, Matt Harvey post-2013 has just been nearly tragic. Um, he fights to come back from his, you know, from Tommy John. He gets back on top of the mountain, uh, gives, you know, oh, you know what? He was back. After Tommy John, he was back. But by the way, I, I'm going to say this, and this is another question we'll never get an answer to how much of what boris was doing was about the innings limits and how much of it was this this guy's out of control oh that's a that's a bridge too far for my speculation my, my belief I is it's, I it's think still it's about the innings that. limits because it is still scott boris <laughs> <laughs> But I don't, but, you know, it's like one of those things where revisit every point in Harvey's career and little things would happen or there would be little disagreements and you just wonder, was this a call, a cry for help? Was this an instance where somebody needed to do something 
or someone was trying to do something or was it just happenstance? In, in, what, in what sense? The, like, like, like the fight over the innings, oh, which, by oh. the way, which by the way, Boris was completely right. If you go through the timeline, Harvey at that point had surpassed the pre-agreed to innings limit that Sandy Alderson mentioned in February of, you know, 2015, but that's an, that's besides the point. Um, but how much of these little things here or there were cries for help, like Harvey going on um, Andy Cohen's show? Um, I don't necessarily think the Harvey of 2013 does that. Um, you know, I think that as far as the innings limit, there was a business. I think there was a business aspect to that. Um you know, Harvey's the trajectory he was on, uh, the potential he still showed after the surgery. I think that was calculated on on their end with the future in mind, whether it had anything to do with what was going on in his life personally. I mean, I, I you know, I think that's a little too much for me to speculate on. But sure. yeah, you have to, you know, I think it's a it's a. But I think it's more of a question than a discussion point. Yeah, I think it's fair to ask. I think there's a lot of questions that are fair to ask right now, because like we said, we don't know, you know, a large portion of of this story and we kind of have to just piece it together. But um, yeah, from what I'm hearing, man, like it's just it's such a very, very sad situation. Um, I'm, 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 you know, Harvey making it back to the majors last year and having a really, really nice stretch. He for he yeah. starts there. He was, yeah, he wasn't Matt Harvey again, but boy, he was a very, very decent major league pitcher. And, you know, that was um, in his battle back. I'm sure that was huge. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, you know, I think that if he is done, which he very well could be now, um, I think that will at least put him in a place mentally like, hey, I got back. And and I got over the mountain and out of the valley and I'm 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 back, and uh, you know in the next chapter of his life I hope it serves him well, but closing this chapter must have um I I think it, it's it's going to be good for him in the long run and it's just a shame that he had to get know. Uh, you I, know had to I, go on the stand and get thrown under the bus by his manager on a, on the same day. I I just think we're gonna see. Harvey this season on Long Island or Staten Island. Oh, let him, let him. Yeah. I think that would be awesome. I mean, I, and I'm not sure that's a bad thing for him either to get kind of out of the limelight a bit. Well, uh, but still pitch. Um, but you know, I he's going to cover the ducks every time he's playing and, and, and all the, all the papers will be in Staten Island when he pitches and, you know, but, I think he'll still be in the light enough, but I, I, I do think him going to, maybe going to the Ferry Hawks, just sitting there with Edgardo Alfonso every day, um, who, who had his own issues with the way his career ended, not with substance abuse, but he had his own issues with the way his career was robbed from him due to back problems. Sure. I'm just wondering if that would be good for him, especially if no one's going to sign him. I think just being around the game. And again, this and, is- and that's the other thing too, being around the game and being closer to maybe his family. Um, Dude, structure, structure is a lot. Not actually, you know, with everything that went haywire because he was, you know, but who knows? I don't know. I, don't no, know. I, I agree with you. I think structure is structure is everything. 
yeah. when it comes to recovery. Um, yeah. You know, trying to make a change without making a full change is, is a very, very hard thing to do. And, you know, whether it's work for the regular folks or whether it's getting back into baseball for, for athletes, for, for a baseball player, for a ball player, um, that structure, I, you know, you have to hope that it would it would provide some sort of stability and, and, and guidance and allow him to kind of share the lessons that he learned. And I guess tying back to what you said, starting off that I've been very open about my struggles. Yeah, I am. Cause one, I, there's no shame in being an addict. Absolutely zero shame in being an addict. Um, it's an illness. It's a chemical imbalance. It's a dopamine defect. It's it, it, there's so many things that go into this. If you're struggling, if you're hurting, do not ever blame yourself. There are decisions that you can make that, of course, will, you know, you can look back on and say that was a mistake, but do not blame yourself for how your body reacted to putting addictive substances in it. There's no shame in addiction. And I try to share my story, you know, often enough when I have to, to, to help those who are struggling to help those who think that, Oh my God, who, who might be feeling how Matt Harvey felt when he was talking to Terry Collins, sharing in confidence, his, uh, his innermost thoughts. You know, I can't, I, I can't just going back to that. I just can't imagine just being so raw and open and so devastated that you, you, you go to someone who you trust Someone who, I guess, to a certain extent, the way Terry Collins was in that clubhouse, a father figure to a lot of those young players. Sure. Saying, I, I, I want to kill myself. And then hearing that same person you talk to publicly chastise you in the press. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, like Terry, Terry, did, Collins, did Terry Collins talk to someone before he talked publicly. Oh, that's that's another very fair question to ask, MD. Um, a bit. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna cross that bridge. But because this is something that should have been the responsibility of the Mets organization to educate their employees how to handle it, and I go back to the 1980s Mets never reached their full potential in large part due to cocaine and partying, and we fast forward. 30 years to 2016. And one of the reasons why it one of not the reason, but one of the reasons why that team fell apart was one of the very, very key pieces to that franchise to that run saw his career kind of fall by the wayside. Yes. Due to TOS, but with put the caveats on there. Um, although we can we can ask the question how much the cane, cocaine use masks the warning sides of TOS and getting treated sooner, but that's that's a whole other discussion. Oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how those would tie in. And TOS is really no joke, man. Thoracic yeah. outlet is a, is a career ender. They the thoracic outlet now is what Tommy John was, you know, 30 years ago. We're still trying to figure out figure it out. Yeah, um, there's no coming back stronger from TOS right now. Right, um, but but but. Put all those caveats, the honest caveats of the TOS, um, which ultimately is what made Harvey not be Harvey. Um, but you do wonder if he didn't have the problems. Did you get 
even better Harvey. Oh, it's going to be what ifs. We can, we'll be talking about the what ifs of Matt Harvey 20 years from now. Mets fans will be talking about the what ifs of Matt Harvey well past that. Um, And, and, and the sad part that remains, of course, you know, the situation itself is just very unfortunate, but the sad part is at least in my mind, now that we know what we know, could the Mets have, have helped? Could the Mets have done more? And my initial reaction is, is yes. Well, and like I said, there have been the Mets had a history. They had experience. They they should have known to have measures in place. And if they did, well, they weren't remotely good enough. Yeah. And and hopefully but, this will, this but will the be thing enough. is, if we go forward and I'll go back to it, the Texas Rangers provided the roadmap with Josh Hamill. Yeah. If the Mets suspected, like they, they're telling us now, like Terry Collins is, okay, you suspected. Why, why didn't they do follow the Texas Rangers roadmap to say, we need someone on him. We need someone reporting back. And, and look, maybe they did, but what did, they didn't do enough with the information if they had it. And that's a problem. Harvey's to blame. Harvey... You know, Harvey didn't have the system around him he needed. But again, I go back to when it reached critical mass and he said, I want to kill myself. The Mets response to that was to chastise him publicly. And this is the same organization who was willing to do anything for a gate. Um and I, that's where I wind up on it. And, you know, unless Terry Collins is going to go talk at a school again and disclose more secrets and private conversations, I'm not sure anyone can change my mind on that. Yeah. Um, but, but that's where I stand right now. I, I, you know, it, it's, a, uh, it's a very, very unfortunate situation. And uh, my only, I think I said it the other night, my support lies, you know, with Matt Harvey at this point. That's in this specific situation. My my support is only with him. Um, yeah, get better, and that's that, guys. We have to take a very quick break to hear from our sponsors. We will be right back. Hang tight. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, guys, we are back. Tim Ryder, Mets daddy. We are having a very, very good time. Uh, as good a time as we can have. Good conversation. Oh, talking about addiction has been a blast, Tim. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. No, no, this is it. I know, um, I know. It's therapeutic for me. I mean, 
It really no, is. It's, in, it's important and it's conversations that need to be had, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, I just, I would really like to hear Matt Harvey's side of all this years from now, if he shared, if he decides to share, I would be, um, I would be waiting uh, anxiously to read that. But, you know, again, all the best to Matt Harvey. Yeah. Let's move forward. Uh, the players are still locked out. MD. Um, they made yeah. a proposal on Thursday. The meeting lasted, I think, 15 minutes. And uh, the two sides, uh, I guess they had a little side session afterwards, but we kind of don't know what's uh, what's next from here. I believe the, the league themselves have set a March 1st date for, uh, I guess, a deadline for an agreement before regular season games can be uh, will be canceled. The MLBPA is not making unreasonable demands in my eyes. They're, they've been coming to the table looking to compromise, looking to make concessions. Um, is, 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 I don't even know what to ask right now. I, I mean, I was like, what are we going to say? Oh, are we going to have opening day on March 31st? No, probably not. Like this is, uh, it's just, it's, it's terrible now and it's scary where it could end up. So this is going to be a very unpopular position. Mm-hmm. Um, I put a lot of blame on the players union and Tony Clark, and I'll tell you why. Okay. It's not because they're being unreasonable. It's because they look, they lost, in my opinion, since Sony Clark has taken over, I think they've lost every single negotiation that has since taken place. Um, and it didn't seem like the union was willing to go to places that, you know, Donald fear years and previously, they were just not willing to go to that. Um, and I think the owners knew it. Um, and if you track the these negotiations, and I, I said something today about it, where all the players union has done is they make an offer, right? The, the, the owners come back and go, you know what? We're going to make our counter offer slightly worse than our initial offer was. And the owners come back and the players come back and they go, oh, well, we'll capitulate on everything. Please accept this deal now. Right. And the owners go, no, nah, we don't think we will. So then the players come and we'll, we'll offer you a worse deal again. And the players come back and they offer yet another significantly worse deal for them. I mean, if I were the owners, I'd sit there and go, I want to see how much they're willing to just keep giving back to us without us making a significant concession in response. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's (laughs) the owners are letting the union negotiate against themselves. Exactly. But the, but, but the union, I I, personally, I think they're taking at least a, 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 a concert. They're making a concerted effort to do it, to streamline those efforts. I think they're chopping off, you know, edges of their proposal where they feel it's, it's okay to chop 
And then they're they're putting their weight behind more important areas. I think that, you know, but they're even backing off of those, Tim. They are. But and I'm not I'm not going to disagree with you there. Um, in my mind, that's the players showing their willingness to to just get back to work. Sure. You, got, you, want to keep on, you want to keep on screwing us? You're going to keep on screwing us either way. Here, we'll give you a little bit more. And and I guess, you know, public perception is going to make a whole big difference. It's not even going to make a difference. Um, I, I, it bothers me that people aren't more infuriated with the league for, for just not budging. They're all oh, the players are, are they're making weak proposals. The player like John, John Heyman, I know he has a, a track record of carrying water for for the league or for ownership. You know, he, he's out there today. He's just spreading blatant misinformation. It, it, well, at whole, least he's not like Jim Bowden. Jesus, Jim fucking Bowden. That is how, the, by the way, how the how the hell does he have even a forum to discuss these things? We're talking the same Jim Bowden who is fined for, for, for hiding medical information in trades. And this mm-hmm. is the same Jim Bowden who was out of baseball for skimming bonus money from Latin American teenagers. Yeah, he's a, he, it was Jim how, Bowden. How the hell does it. MLB Network Radio, MLB Network, and The Athletic possibly employ this? You can't tell me there's another former GM with a shred of decency who, or, or, or a shred of credibility who couldn't do these jobs better than he can. But I, mean, I guess on. not because his job is to be a pro owner mouthpiece who just tries to paint the, the, the players, you know, him and Steve Phillips, they <laughs> exist to try to sway public opinion. Uh, well, Steve Phillips is another guy. I don't know how he still has a job in baseball <laughs> um, with the way, with what he did during his Mets career oh, on multiple no. occasions. Um, but do you see a pattern there? Yeah, well, if this is, I mean, this is same stuff was happening in 94, except there was only, you know, a handful of national outlets for fans to right. get that news from. So it was a lot easier on the league's part to sway these things. Now, today, you got a much, I'm sorry, I'm tapping my pencils, I'm talking. Um, you got a much smarter, much more connected fan on, on a widespread level. I mean, um, you know, there's still going to be the, uh, the ones who, oh, yo, oh, yo, we agree. The, the players are greedy, like, oh, millionaires versus billionaires. And I just, you know, I cringe and I sigh and I roll my eyes every time I hear it. But, you know, it's a battle that it's much easier to uh, it's much tougher for the league to keep up this stuff now that everyone has a platform now that there's multiple blogs for every team. There's right. You know, uh, 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 it's. The and, and it's the sad thing is that this whole you know swaying public opinion it can go on forever, but the league and the owners they don't care, <laughs> they absolutely do not care. I think Passon said it today. They, you know, having control over the situation outweighs whatever public perception, whatever negativity public perception might bring. They just don't care. And that's so, that's what sticks in my craw. So they don't give a, they just don't give a shit. Yeah, Keith Olbermann, I think today made some insinuation that the season is not the opening day, but really the season's in jeopardy. And I, I know you're a hockey fan too. I am. Um, this is starting to remind me of 2004, 2005, where if you recall, 
the players kept making where Batman and the owners were just hell bent on getting a salary cap yeah. that they were willing to do whatever necessary to get that salary to the point yeah. where we found out they were willing to cancel an entire season. Oh yeah. Whereas the players were, I remember those negotiations like they were yesterday. The players were literally, we will literally give you everything you want, but this cap. Yeah. And, and they, let's and get they, back to playing. And the owners were, no, this is what is going to be required to play again. And until such time, we will burn it to the ground. I'm very much getting the sense that this entire CBA negotiation, and we've seen it creep in since the very beginning of the conversation of revenue sharing is we're going to, the owners are really going to stick their feet in the ground until they get some form of a stricter cap. They just want to keep that bottom line. Call it revenue sharing, call it whatever you will. There are not enough Steve Cohen's in baseball to offset, I mean, how the Yankees are now on the side of revenue sharing, and they've probably paid more money than anyone. Um, oh, did, did, did they could dress up. They could dress up the pig however they want. It comes down to just keeping their profits at a certain level. Doesn't matter how much the game grows. It doesn't matter how much revenue they're bringing in. They want their profits staying exactly the same. They don't want to lose anything as the game grows. Oh, the they players don't want it the same. They want more. They want more. Here, I have. I actually have my NHL lockout from 0405 notes right here because I was looking into it a couple of weeks ago. So the owners backed the players into a corner. They yes, said, we're, really. you're, you're, get, you're getting it. We're getting this cap, whether you like it or not, and we'll, we'll lock you out until it happens. The NLT, NL, NL, the Players Association, I couldn't get NHLPA out. The, the, the union, they said, okay, fine. $52 million cap. NHL said, nope, you're getting a $40 million cap. Players Association rejected right. it. NHL came back with a $2.5 million bump. Nope, that's not going to work. Players Association said $49 million. No, they eventually agreed to a $39 million cap in the season back, which is 54% of total revenue, yeah. which was $2.25 billion at the time. Since then, so in 07-08, it went up another 1.8%. After the 2013, uh, 2012-2013 lockout, it went up another 1.8%. Last season, or this season, I should uh, – no, yeah, this season. This season. Salary cap is $82.5 million. That's a 1.7% increase from last year. Revenues are over $5 billion now. They want to keep that bottom line exactly where it is. And it goes down to cutting of cutting, what was it, 42 minor league affiliates, asking the, asking the owners – the players to give the owners the right to reduce, essentially chop off another team. Yeah. Uh, and, that's, if, and that's a, that's a mind fucking itself. Cause they're, 
they're saying, okay, yeah, we'll trim the fat here, but we're going to do it with non-union members. And of course, the MLBPA, the players themselves are like, well, you know, that's such a a terrible place. It's uh, just an an unethical place to put the players in. It's like, okay, well, we can get what we want by cutting out jobs of our future competition for our jobs. It's just such a mind. Oh, I, I, the, the MLB, the, the, the league and Manfred and the owners are playing the nastiest version of hardball I can remember. This is worse than the 0405 NHL Batman shit. Yes, it is. And, and, and here's the problem. When you put, and this was the, this was the problem with 2004-2005. People who know hockey know that Gary Bettman was not an NHL fan. He was not. I'm not saying he didn't like hockey. I, I think that's an unfair way to characterize it. But he was an NBA guy. He loved basketball. Loved it. Because that hockey was not his passion, it makes you a little bit more willing to be, you know, to to allow nuclear options to be exercised. I have not seen. I have not seen anything. Saying them at the door is probably um, number one on, on the list for these guys because they don't represent the league or the fans, they represent the owner's interests. That's what they're there but for. Here's the and problem. Bettman, Bettman actually, he's the one who kind of revamped what a sports commissioner does in that sense. He went from representing the league. David Stern good, also a pretty good. Um, yeah. He represented the league. He represented the entire thing. But here's the thing with David Stern, and he's a great example. David Stern loved the game of basketball. He did. He was willing to do almost anything but cancel a season um, because he loved the game. He loved the game of basketball. And here's the problem. You cannot be an effective steward of your sport if you don't inherently love it. You, you can't. Yeah, because but- if, if you don't get it, but the commissioner isn't a steward of the sport. It's a steward of the owner's interests. I think they have to redefine the position. Well, and therein lies the problem because yeah. we know this. Commissioner first was established to be a steward of the sport. Yes. And in 1994, the strike of the MLB strike, 94, 95, that changed the commissioner's duties. In terms of Bud Selig, that's one of the reasons why they got rid of Faye Vincent. Yeah. One of um, and before they, they before they installed Sealing, they they actually gave the commissioner's office unilateral power over the league. They had to eventually rescind that because the players' association said no, that's not going to happen. They had to pull that back, but they still slipped in all of the power struggle proof little entities that they that they wanted to, and we've seen what it's done since. I understand how if you're negotiating, you, you, you don't want anyone who's blinded by biases or whatnot. I mean, you know, and you're right about that. Again, but, I'm, I'm very biased. I, I, I have done union work in the past. Like, well, yeah, well, I'm, I'm extremely biased. So um, but, but I'm always going to be pro labor in these situations. So no, I mean, no, 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 that, that, that's fine. But if I'm baseball, 
right? And here's a classic example. Bud Selig, love him or hate him, I hated him for a number of reasons. Selig? Oh, yeah. But well, besides the fact that before he was commissioner, him and uh, what's his name in Chicago pretty much admitted to ripping off players uh, like what, like $80 million in collusion. Yeah, he was the one who started collusion. And it's him, um, him, and, uh, him and the White Sox, uh, Reinsdorf. Yeah, him and Reinsdorf. Um, but here's the thing. Selig wanted player capitulation so he can line his pockets with the Brewers. A little more, make it a little easier. <laughs> but poor little market bud. Yeah, poor poor bud and his billion dollars. Um, well, didn't and he was a he was a um, very successful business. Well, of course, he owned a major league baseball. Used car. He was a used car. He, I can't think of what he did. He was a used car dealership. <laughs> How did I forget that? <laughs> he, he was he was a Brody Van Wagenen who knew about baseball. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm actually genuinely laughing at that. I forgot. But that's just like a stroke of fucking genius. Yeah, but <laughs> and, and I know Selig canceled the '94 series. Um, which, which kind of makes my point like puts a well, dent in my point. They made the they made an unagreeable proposal and said, "Oh well, if you don't if you don't accept it, we're going to cancel the season." And the players said, "Yeah, we're, we're, we're fucking on strike." <laughs> Right. right. And that's, but, but, but the problem is where we're at now is it, it, I think it's deeper. It, it's much deeper. And it goes to taking baseball out of cities like Kingsport, Tennessee. When you have an owner who, or, or a commissioner, I'm sorry, who can't see past short term profit and loss. And looks towards, and has to be able to look towards your profit margins and your future revenues are directly tied to fan interest, right? Sure. That's what the Will Bonds never understood, by the way. You put a winning ball club out there, you're going to fill the seats, you're going to make money. You don't need to pretend to compete every year. I'm sorry. I had to no, put that in. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that, and that's fine. That, that, that kind of builds on where I was going. Oh, yeah. But is Ron Manfred going to be the commissioner who, like, Selig was the guy behind MLB AM? No. Does, does, is Manfred going to be that guy? No, because you know how much money it would be to start a business like that, even though it paid million times over. Yeah. Um, He's not forward looking. He doesn't care about the sport. And you no, yeah, he brought, um, who cares about the sport who understands not just the soul of the game, which, look, that's almost dead at this point um, with the Universal DH. Oh, um, we had a few minutes. You want to get into it? In a, in a, in a second, but <laughs> he doesn't care about the soul of the sport. All he cares about is what do my owners want? Like, where the hell is he saying, you guys realize if we destroy minor league baseball in a number of cities, we're not getting that fan back ever. And by the way, if you're not getting that fan back, you're not getting that player. No, they're, they're counting on uh, their streaming services that'll be, I'm sure, will be launching 
in the next couple of years. They're counting on putting baseball in every young fan's hand and hoping that it catches on. But what you're saying is 100% correct. Kingsport, Tennessee, where, of course, the Mets rookie rookie ball team was for, for many years. You know, you had budding fans there. When Binghamton was threatening, was, uh, you know, maybe coming under the gun. What other – what's the other – upstate team that the Mets lost? I don't think they lost another team upstate. They lost Kingsport and who else? They lost Columbia. Columbia, I'm sorry. They went to another team. But I don't know if you've ever been down in the Sally League. My brother was down there for a couple of years in the Red Sox organization as a trainer. Hey, Phil. (laughs) But, uh, you know, these are baseball, just rabid cities. They love their baseball. I just, I'm with you 100%. I, I don't understand the, the long-term goals. Like, you, what, you're going you're gonna to put, put an app out and kids are going to be able to watch baseball. But if a kid's not really falling in love with the game, they're not going to watch the app. <laughs> like, it's, it's, just, um, it's backwards. Think about this. The best player in baseball, Mike Trout, right? Oh, yeah, he, undoubtedly. He grew up in a section of – of New Jersey, where you can see Phillies games, you can see Mets games, you can see Yankees games, and you had three minor league teams right there. You yeah. don't, and by the and you had all that was not not that close to him. You had all that was the Tom's River Little League stories yeah. that were every few years. Tom's River makes a run. It seems like at least once a decade. Yeah. Um, you don't think that had an impact on pushing Mike Trout towards baseball? Oh, sure. Of course. And, and, and that's what you lose. You're not just losing Mike. You're not just losing fans here. You're losing the next Mike Trout. Hell, even if you're losing the, the, the next Mike Baxter who saves Johan Santana's no hitter. Like that's what you lose. Yeah. Oh, the reverberations will go on every change they make. There's ripple effects and there's there for every action there's a reaction. It's 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 all just it's the direction this game is going. And it goes back to what you said. They they just don't care about the forward the progress of the game. It's the almighty dollar and, and that's what it's come down to. And that's why I don't I don't think that if if that's how the league wants to play their cards, if that's how they're gonna play their hand. I do not blame the Players Association one bit for making sure they get every piece of that pie that they've earned. And this is going on 150 years of earning that pie. Right. And- it, it, go ahead. No, 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 you, you're good. No, I, I, I was just going to say and go back to is, do they care about the fan? You know, no, silly, no you we're, know, we're an afterthought, MD. We are an afterthought. I know I was an afterthought with ceiling. But he cared about me as a fan because he wanted to bring more baseball to me. Well, yeah, that's why he allowed steroids to run, run rampant, to build the brand, to, to make, it, make it America's pastime again, which, you know, I don't think it's been America's pastime since Everything Steve did was to make baseball, yes, more profitable, but it seemed like it was more at stake. Even if it was mistakes like this one counts with the All-Star game. Oh, that was right. the worst. Well, but the, at least the tie game had drama. Right. But, but you know, and the thing is, when I go back to Sea Lake, you know, that's what he was. When I go to Manfred and, you know, people could say go over it. 
Manfred does these things that takes what's beautiful about baseball and takes them away. Something as simple as the intentional walk. Do you, like, I don't, I don't mind. The, you the, had to, you used to have I don't to, mind the fake pass. I got over it really fast. I'm weird like that. But I, like, I know where you're getting with this. You're getting to the, the universal DH. And I was with you. I'm telling you, man, a few years ago, I was right there with you. No, it's National League Baseball. Honestly, I, I'm, I'm, I've been ready for it for a couple of years now, and I'm looking forward to it. And I know people are, or people like Howie Rose are just like, I'll just capitulate at this point. <laughs> here's the thing. No, I, I, I want to hear your side because I know you're, you're, you're kind of uh, an, an, an ardent uh, opposer of it. But, but here's what was beautiful about baseball. It wasn't just the lack of time limits. It was the fact that anything could happen. Go to the intentional walks. You had, th- there was just something the other day that was on somewhere on Twitter. Keith Hernandez singled when they were trying to intentionally walk him and he drove home a run from second. That's gone. Think of um, Bartolo Colon. That's gone. What about, there was a game this year where in San Diego, I forget the guy's name. And I, I wish I remembered the reliever who hit the, what was it? The game tying grand slam. Uh, yeah. I can't remember his name, but I remember what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, Tim, it, you okay. took what was amazing about baseball. It's not just the strategy and the, this and the, that we can get into all of that. It was the fact that Joe McEwing owns Randy Johnson. <laughs> it was Jesse Orozco in game seven of the World Series pulling a butcher boy play. Yeah. You lost that. Yeah, I don't understand how people can just accept losing something that is genuinely great about this sport. Yeah, genuinely, but sparingly. It's great when these things happen. It's really entertaining. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is cool. But how often do these, how often do we, does Bartolo Colon hit a home run? How often does a, you know, and, and yeah, well, am I going to miss Jacob DeGrom getting an RBI double? Am I going to miss Steven Matz, you know, multi-hit game in his MLB debut and his grandfather losing his fucking mind? Of course, you know, these are very, I, I, I get what you're coming from in that sense, but you know, I, Tim, especially with the direction the is headed where they want to increase offense. And I know that's debatable too. No, um, it doesn't do that. I know, I know. It's close, but, it's not. but it's still, I mean, it, it gives you a different dynamic and I, I I've never minded the DH. I, I, there was a large portion of my life that I said, Oh, you know, national league baseball is an institution. It's cool. This is how it's supposed to be, you know, for the, handful of interleague games that the Mets play every year and we get to see them use a DH. I, I immediately said, Oh, this is, this ain't so bad. Let's do it. <laughs> but here's the thing too. I may be the rare fan here. I loved that the NL had their set of rules and the AL had their set of rules. When was that, by the way, when, when did like, when would uh, NL and AL umpires stop being a thing? I was trying to remember that. I couldn't. 
I, I can't remember it. I think it was 94. I, it's, I was going to say right around the strike, right? I, I think it was around the time they eliminated. They kicked out Faye Vincent. Bud Selig took over what you were talking about. And they, they eliminated the president of the AL and NL. And people forget, even before the DH, American and National League Baseball was still completely different. They would talk about the way American League hitters the American League pitchers would attack American League hitters. Like, that was always a huge thing during the World Series. I remember it to this day, how they would talk about how if this was, like, this is an NL pitcher, so when he's down in the count, you're going to see him come challenge the batter. But with the AL, with the partially because of the DH and everything, they, they were more willing to try to surprise you with a breaking pitch. They yeah. were too comp- – they, they were – still baseball, but they were played different ways. And it made the world series more interesting aside from the DH. Yeah. But you get those differences between two different teams. Now you just have two different philosophies between two different organizations. And you still kind of get get that, right? But you still kind of get it. Yeah. But you still kind of get it. Now it's just on such a a micro level. I, I think that might even be cooler. But, but here, let me ask you this question. And, and really think about this. Now that we have Steve Cohen and a universal DH. Yeah. In 2022, take history out of it. What is the real difference between the Mets and Yankees? Pitching. <laughs> but I mean, like, they're both deep pockets. Oh, oh, oh as far as organizationally. Right. Um. You know what's the difference between the Yankees and Dodgers? What's the difference between oh, between the Yankees and Mets? Let me go back to the Yankees and Mets. The only difference between yeah. the Yankees and Mets at this point is history. They have another eighty years or so of it, <laughs> or whatever. And what just happened when they eliminated the Universal DH? They punted history aside. Yeah, but and that's why I, history. That's why I, and that's where I go back to. And I wrote this up on my site. They used to pitch underhand. They used to say, hey, I want the ball here. Like, these are all things that kind of went by the wayside. And I get it that, you know, pitchers hitting has been in a part of the game for, you know, over a, over a century. You know. It, and it still is in Japan, by the way. God bless them. It is. It is. I Dude, those early morning games that you can catch on the streaming sites, those are really, really fun. That is excellent, yeah. excellent baseball. I guess last year during the COVID, during the COVID break, um, everybody yeah. got into it. ESPN picked it up. I still catch it, man. You usually catch a live feed on the Twitter account, and it's um, they're excellent. You know, but I wrote this for my site, um, and I'll send you the, the, the link later. Uh, and MetsDaddy.com, everybody. MetsDaddy.com, MetsDaddy.com. Now that we don't have a universal DH, what's the point of an AL and NL? Why aren't we just aligning geographically? I, would I mean, the owners want to complain about cost. By the way, you're a Mets fan. Do you want to watch a bunch of Red Sox and Yankees games, or do you want to watch a bunch of Marlins and Pirates games? Well, I mean, it would finally turn the Mets-Yankees into an actual rivalry instead of just being two teams in New York. I never saw the Yankees as the Mets' rival. They don't play each other. If they were in the same division, you know how freaking cool that would be? But, but this is the thing. The owners want to talk about, oh, money, 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 blah, blah, blah. One of their biggest costs is travel. Why aren't we just aligning now geographically? If there's no DH to separate an NL and AL, 
what's the point of having a different league? Why not just do kind of what the NHL does, what the NBA does? I mean, that's what Manfred wants anyway. He wants to follow the NHL and NBA models. You see it in every single thing he does. How long do you think it'll take before before MLB gets a cap? Because that's really what this is leading to. I mean, whether whether it's five years or 20 years. The the answer, Tim, is negative 10 years. They got a cap. They got a cap. That's a great answer. Honestly, hasn't the revenue sharing and competitive balance tax really just been a soft cap? Oh, most definitely. And now they're just trying to make it a a harder soft cap. cap. Uh, Yeah, exactly. It's it's just a harder soft cap. By the way, how much does it suck being a Mets fan? Right when we get Steve Cohen, they're going to take away every single fucking leverage he could have. My God. Right? You you know that they're going to, you know, I think they're already up at like 260 million, 280 million for 2022. Um, They were well on their way to blowing blowing past three. I'm convinced of that. And and I wonder how this is going to affect their moves once the lockout lifts. And that's just. What's hysterical is I remember last year saying to people, listen, there's no way in God's green earth the Mets are going to be competitive in 2022 unless they're willing to go to 300 million. We might as well just start talking about doing a rebuild. And Steve Cohen goes, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go to 300 million. <laughs> go to 300 million. Let's go. And I'm, and God I'm bless convinced him they for it. done. I'm convinced they aren't done. No, I'm not. And, and, you know, as an aside with the universal DH, my opinion, that should put Michael Conforto back in the conversation. I wouldn't totally be against that, but I think that shit may have settled. I don't, I don't, no, I think it, I, I, I think it has, um, I, I look, I, I wrote it. it up on my side too. I imagine having, imagine having four outfielders and Michael Conforto's one of them. So you have Canna, Conforto, I mean, Nimmo, Marte. You have Canna, Marte, who are on the wrong side of third. <laughs> they need, they need some days here and there. Nimmo gets nicked up. Conforto, God bless him, gets nicked up. But now you have a DH to play with. Yeah. Oh, so let's let's keep rotating between maybe how maybe Nimmo just becomes the DH. Yeah, he's a decent fielder. Oh no, I, he I, is. Nimmo's a very him. good fielder. But if you have him as a more primary DH, you probably get 160 games out of him as opposed to 125. <laughs> if that, he's only played 100 games once in his career. I think so. Yeah, but, but, but this is the point oh, I'm saying. MD, what a that's a um, I like that. I mean, instead I of sticking, I love Dom Smith, but instead of sticking him in left field, you know, on an emergency basis, let, let's get. I mean, Sterling Marte, he's not young. Let's let let's take Marte. Let's take Kanha. Um, let's take Nemo. Let's add another starting outfielder and just be like and just say to Conforto, listen. We have a DH now. We're going to rotate you guys through accordingly. And now when you have that diving catch in right field and your shoulder feels a little wonky or Nimmo, when you, you go down on a knee and you feel like a little bump, you don't have to run the outfield. We're, you will now be our DH. And then we'll start rotating through again. Yeah, keep everybody yeah. fresh. Um, I think that's the key. I think we saw it. You know, we saw the Mets hit a wall 
so many times. I mean, you can look back at pretty much any season. The Mets have always hit an injury wall, even their most successful ones. 2006, who knows where they would have been if they still had El Duque and Pedro. I mean, you know, it, uh, keeping guys fresh is, is it's paramount. By the way, here's, here's an idea for DH no one's talking about. Jeff McNeil. Oh, sure. Uh, he's, I mean, what? I, I, know, I know you don't like him, but place. J.D. Davis. J.D. Davis, his liability has been as a third baseman, as a defensive player. Just as an offensive player, his OBP is good. I know that his BABIP is, is, is miragey at times. Um, exit velocity has stayed pretty consistent, even without the juiced ball. I think in a perfect world, J.D. could could very well be a, a part-time DH, part-time bench hit, bench bat. Look, and, I, I've always said J.D. Davis, club. If, if you're not putting him in the field on, a, on an everyday basis, he's an extremely useful major league player. Oh, my God. I'm going to uh, – thank God we're recording this. No, I've said this to you before on your podcast. <laughs> he is – J.D. Davis is a useful player. What he is not is an everyday player. Yeah, no, and, and 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 I think that in in the lineup as a hitter, he could be an almost everyday guy. But once the, the glove is a vulnerability, there's 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 a, a, a pronounced glaring weakness there that I think now can be eliminated. But how they decide to move forward with this incumbent core of no longer starting level players, it's 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 intriguing to me. I mean, I, I would toy with the idea of saying to Robinson Cano, play some second base. Oh, I thought you were going to say retired. <laughs> no, you can't. By the way, they stop steroid testing and Robinson Cano starts hitting in the in the the, 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 the winter leagues again. How funny is that? No, no. Um, Robin Cano was hitting before he went to um, – I, I know. I, I'm just I, – I think that Cano could be a, a contributor. I don't think he's going to – get the playing time that his, you know, his, his salary would normally command. I, I you know, if the Mets are going to stick him on the bench, making $20 million a year, but he's just, but he's there and ready. And that's the important difference. And that's the important difference between Will Pond and Cohen. Exactly. exactly. Will Pond would have played him every day. Cohen's like, look, we're paying them. Figure out the best way to get something out of him. Yeah. That, that's the key difference between the two. Sure. And they, you know, if they have they have talent here and now they have the ability to really grow that talent and the, what is it the sustainable success I, I honestly think that's a real attainable goal and by the way the the, the Marte and the Kanha contracts <laughs> I like really, when you say Kanha yeah. <laughs> I love it you can't help it Kanha um, I, I, I almost called him Kana yeah I think it's Oh, no, no. It was Kana. I called him Kana. It's Kana. It's Kana. I don't know. It's Kana. We'll, we'll figure it out. We've got to wait for Gary to we'll, get on We'll me. figure I'm it out. I, I mean, hell, I, I, I figured out Zapucky. Um, hey, Thomas Zapucky, I, I think he could be a, um, a, an under-the-radar contributor if he's healthy. On uh, Yeah, I, I, I'll put it to you like this. He had the same tender flexing surgery that DeGrom and Matt's had post Tommy John. And we saw how they came out of that. Yeah. Uh, I think that's going to help him with his control issues. Um, I always thought of him as a Seth Lugo type more than I thought of him as a starting type. And this is way back when Um, I remember even 
mentioning something to like Keith Law, and he goes, "What's wrong with you?" He's a starting pitching prospect till he proves otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was, I always thought Zapucky was your ace. I, I always thought of it. And I'm not putting the hater label on him because that's not fair, but I always thought of him kind of in that ilk of here's my fire strikeout lefty out of the bullpen that I could put out there for an inning or two. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be anywhere near as good as a Lugo or a uh, hater, but maybe he could be a Blake Taylor who was an extraordinarily useful pitcher for the Houston Astros and still is. Oh, he had a really uh, nice year last year. Uh, thanks for that one too, Brody. Um, <laughs> what was that? Was uh, um, Jake Marisnik? Marisnik, there you go. I, I couldn't remember his last name. Another Astros cheater, but you know, hey, he had a decent. He had a decent year in Chicago last year. Not decent. He did. Marisnik is a good. He's a quality ball player. You don't yeah. give up legit prospects for a guy they're going to DFA, and that's the problem. Um, look circling back to the original point is the Mets have so many options at DH. Um, I, I think maybe instead of talking about moving some of these players, because we're hearing, you know, the Mets are going to trade Dom Smith. They're going to trade Jeff McNeil. Um, they have the wallet to just bring these guys they want in anyway. I'm not saying not to make the trade. Cause if we go back to what was it? 2006 when Omar pulled the offers out. He had all out to the free agent catchers and made the trade for Paul LaDuca, which I think set the tone for that season, having LaDuca as a leader in that clubhouse and you oh, know, I think slotting him second in the lineup. Him, and, him um, and Delgado put that roster over the top. Right. And, you know, and Delgado was, was an eventful. That was an eventful 12 months leading up to that season. And, and that's the interesting thing is that was the Rome was not built in the day. Keith's, he first started building that roster. Um, Pedro. Not just Pedro. It was Andy Chavez. It was stupid little trades, like getting Scott Strickland from the Expos. Uh, Chavez came from, not from Seattle, Montreal. Uh, he was, but I think he was a, yeah, he was. I think he was a little trade where, he, you know, I, let me look that up because oh, I, that's, you don't have to look it up. It was now we've gotten so off topic. This is just, I know we have we've but gotten that's into the just bullshitting zone, and I love it. But the thing is, but the point is, he did the little things, and yeah, those little trades work. I'm just saying they have the depth here. And what has been the issue the last few seasons? It's been the depth. Uh, he signed as a free agent, minor league free agent. His previous team. Uh, previous team, believe it or not, the Philadelphia Phillies. He was, I knew that you, you want to bring this full Met circle. He was traded by the Nationals to the Phillies for Marlon Bird. Wow, what year was that? Oh, four, oh, five, five. Yeah, yeah, Marlon Bird. Marlon Bird had a hell of a run in New York for a uh, first, first short time. Yeah, and then Marlon Byrd, if you remember, was one of the 2013 people, and he was the trade who, and bringing this full, full circle. Wait a second. Was, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Um, gosh darn it. No, you're going to have to tell me. I wanted, I wanted to say it was Pittsburgh, but that wasn't him, right? It was Pittsburgh. It was. And was it Tyler got, uh, Black? 
that was Vic Black. Vic Black, there you go. Vic Black, John Bach, and Bird for Dilson Herrera and Vic Black. Oh, we were right there. I was right there, man. I almost had it. Yeah, and Blake Taylor was the guy, the Mets got from Pittsburgh for Ike Davis. Wow. So Wait, Dilson, Dilson Herrera was the player to be named later that came no. over in that deal? The, the player to be named later was Vic Black. It's Vic Black. There you go. And Dilson Herrera was the guy who traded for Jay Bruce. And I, you know Dilson Herrera is still under 30? It's astounding. By the <laughs> way, you know who was supposed to be traded for Jay Bruce before Dilson Herrera? It, it wasn't Zach Wheeler, was it? It was Nimmo and Flexen. But it was Flexen's knee injury that blew up that deal. And who was DeGrom rumored to be going for at one point? Oh, oh, it was such a BS rumor, too. It, it, it still made it out. And I remember someone retweeted it like just this past year. And it's like, oh, my God, how is that even a thought? Anyway. Yeah, well, DeGrom was a nothing prospect. People forget that. Like, even when he was called up, people were talking about him as a long-term bullpen. Arm. Yeah, he was a bullpen arm. He was making a spot start in Yankee Stadium that night. Yeah, that, that's seven innings of but, – but, but that's the thing, too, no, is – I was with my I father then. I don't want I, sorry to cut you off. My father said, Oh, I like this kid. And he made it a point to watch every Jacob DeGrom start he could while he was still around. And absolutely pegged it from the start. He's like, Oh, I like him. <laughs> I loved, you know, and the thing is, we were all kind of watching DeGrom and we saw kind of a bit with I, I can't stand the the Miguel um comps to, to DeGrom. Um so which comp out of nowhere? The the McGill comps. Oh, Ty, Tyler the, McGill. I, I yeah. Um, I, I don't think he's at that me, level. I think his precision. I think his command could rival it because McGill puts the ball where he wants to. He really does. To me, he's John Maine. That's not a bad, not a bad comp. John Maine had his had his moment. I I think he's John Maine. Where John Maine would have had a lot more run if his shoulder didn't go. Yeah. And he was also a victim of, uh, of run support, I want to say. Yeah. Um, uh, the Mets never scored runs for him. And he put up some gems. He put up and some that was another. Gems. That was another phenomenal trade by uh, Omar. That was Baltimore they got him from? Yeah, that was the Chris Benson deal. There you go. Good they call. Didn't just, they just didn't get Maine in that deal. That They got um, Jorge Julio, too. Oh, wow. It's a blast from the past. I haven't thought about that name in a decade. And it, it's just funny. Um, and then you're sitting down to this one? Oh, gosh. Here we go. Who was Jorge Julio traded to? From the Mets to who? Yeah. Frank Francisco? Was it to Texas for Frank Francisco? Or is he a Frank? Arizona, Arizona Diamondbacks for El Duque. Wow. He turned Chris Benson into John Main and El Duque. El Duque was so fun. Oh, one of my favorite Mets. He only spent, what, a season here, right? One of my favorite Mets. My God. Like, people forget the virtuoso uh, Minaya was when he first took over. And I still think it was the Will Pond's purse strings that ended his little run there. Oh, without wow. a doubt. That was the one and only time the Wilpons said, fuck it, let's spend money. And of course, it was money that they were getting under the just, table for Madoff. And, but. The, and the thing with him is it just wasn't the um, 
the money. It's it's little things like turning Chris Benson into John Main and El Duque. Who does that? Yeah. Oh, I mean, but you can go back even to. I mean, I know you're not a huge fan, but you know Steve Phillips assembling those ninety nine. Oh no, Steve people. Phillips made some really shrewd moves. I mean, I mean, like uh, Lenny, Lenny Harris. Um, uh, yeah, who did he move for? Lenny? He brought in. He had some really bad ones in that. that that's the problem. Is he? 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 He, he, <laughs> he, an amazing he had like, some uh, really, the, really good trades at the time. Though. What, what I, I still would have kept Melvin Mora. I would have said, "Fuck it, let him play" because he was playing well. But uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't get that panic move. Um, although I could see the, the hands of Jeff Wilpon all over that one. Um, Bordick for for Mora. Bordick for Mora. Like we need to have a regular shortstop. It's like well, no, we're... but Mora was hitting like three thirty in the month before. Oh, I, I know, I know, and that's the problem is Mora was holding more than holding down the spot. Had he had a terrific career too? Yeah. Yeah, well, what a shame. You know, you would get him, you would get from Steve Phillips, Craig Baquette for Sean Dunstan, but you would also get for him Billy Taylor for for Billy uh for uh Isringhausen. Yeah. Like he would he couldn't just put a good stretch together. He'd have <laughs> to do he just had to do something stupid. Um, well, yeah, yeah. And I think we can look back and probably mark all those points even after he's left the Mets. Yeah, but that, that was the funny thing with Steve Phillips. It was like he would do that, and then he would offer David Wright for Jose Cruz Jr. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that rumor coming out? Oh, my I God. I remember the rumor. You just reminded me of it. And I 100% believe he tried to trade David Wright. He had oh. zero belief in prospects. Yeah, no, and, and then when it came down to it – um. You know, at least how it was spun was that, oh, we we thought Jose Reyes was the future. So we decided not to pursue. Uh, no, it wasn't A-Rod. It was the next guy after that. They went after a shortstop. Barry Larkin. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, it was Barry Larkin who turned down the trade because they wouldn't extend him. Oh, right, right, right. But because oh, we have a future. And, and, and Jose Reyes was an electric player uh, over the, you know, the, the more than first half of his career. But, um, yeah, you know. A little foresight there, I guess. I think Larkin would have uh, would have been helped. They, they would have they would have won with Larkin, but that contract would have aged horrifically. Nah, but but if you're mind. a New York, but if you're a New York team, uh, you act you know, like one. You act like one. And by the way, I would have loved watching Barry Larkin hit 200 at age 42 if we won in 2000. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? He probably would have went, you know, five for fifteen in the World Series or something. But Barry Larkin is one of the most. We don't talk enough about how clutch a baseball player Barry Larkin was. Yeah, I know it was Jeter's calling card, but Barry Larkin was one of the most clutch players I've ever seen. I mean, this is a guy who, what should we call it? Do you know what he hit in the postseason? I don't. I know. I remember he was a terrific player. This is one of my, like, the first few years I was watching, like, the World Series is when they beat the A's, and he was terrific. When they beat the A's, he hit 353, 421, 529. <laughs> in the World Series? In the World Series when they upset the A's. Incredible. Those are the nasty boys. Here's another thing. Remember how great the Braves pitching staff was in, two, in 1995? Sure, yeah. Steve Avery. Of Steve Avery, man. Right. 
Here's what he hit in the 95 NLCS. <laughs> 389, 421, 611. Incredible. Just a, a terrific ball player, outstanding fielder. Um, yeah, I think he's one of those guys that kind of get forgotten of how good he was. It, could you imagine? And look, he did that at 31. But could you imagine inserting that in the lineup in 2000? I mean, the, the, the problem with Bordick, I know it was his best season. He just dragged the offense down. Yeah. I know when they picked him up, I mean, he, he was, I want to say he was having a decent year. He was, he was having his best, he was having a career year. Yeah. And then just completely fizzled out when he, once he got here, which it happens. We saw the opposite with, uh, with Baez this year. He had a historic stretch and the Mets just fizzled. <laughs> it happens. Yeah, not bringing him back is going to hurt, especially if you figured I, out. I was such game. a com- I was such a proponent of of making a push, but hey, what can you do? MD, I, I, I we've already we're way we're way and, over. And, by the way, Andrew's going <laughs> to text me and be like, "Are these two episodes in one? What's going on here?" But uh, <laughs> I, I cannot thank you enough for coming on, man. This was great. Oh, no, my pleasure. I love I loved every second of it, 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 especially the part where you introduced me as the band news. And no. <laughs> You're gonna make me go back and re-record it. No, I don't. No, do that. don't worry about. It. I love. Oh it. no, we are we are one take kings here. We don't re-record anything. We're the Jackie Gleason. <laughs> no, easy. <laughs> <laughs> MD, um, again, thank you so much, Mets Daddy 2013 on Twitter, uh, underscore 2013. No, no, yeah, just Mets. No, Daddy I had to take 2013 because one through 2012 were taken. There you go. <laughs> All right, guys. MD, thank you so much for coming on. We'll have thank you, you for having me. Season swings up again. Everybody else, we'll be back next week, hopefully, with something to update you with. Uh, until then, you know the sign off. It's Let's Fucking Go Mets. We'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs>